All right. Hello, everyone. We've got Jack from Wayfair joining us. We're going to be talking about uh, domestic supply chains, the ocean side of things, and where things are headed in terms of consumer demand and uh, retail inventory volumes and what's going on in the ocean market in general. So, Jack, thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me, Rachel. Great to see you again. So, we were just talking a little bit about how, you know, there's a lot of talk that ocean volumes are declining a bit. This should theoretically be good for shippers such as Wayfair. Uh, maybe we'll see a little bit more fluidity, a bit more, a bit more of improved service at the ports. Um, how is that going? Are you really seeing um, things start to improve and, quote, get back to normal again? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a... Uh million dollar question right now because you are seeing imports decreasing um you know i think the proof is in the pudding so to speak so you are seeing a uh, more fluidity as you stated at the ports and terminals however the inland transportation segment is still struggling a little bit um the uh, president biden the government had stepped in to avoid the rail strike uh lately over the last week um so you are still seeing some congestion you're still seeing some labor issues at warehouses and whatnot so the Inland domestic side is still being affected by the um, the overall lack of fluidity they're seeing. So yeah, you are seeing it along the ports and terminals. However, it's not um, as prevalent right now in the inland side. As you mentioned, we did avoid that rail strike thanks to quick work from Congress and Biden and uh, our federal government stepping in at basically the last minute to try to avoid this rail strike. But I imagine it still was pretty disruptive for durable goods importers like Wayfair. Um, I guess, how, how did you guys manage the threat of a rail strike? And did that disrupt any of your of your planning for uh, this this peak season? Yeah, no, we were very cognit cognitive of the situation. We were um, staying in close contact with our partner carriers on the ocean and on the dry side, um, talking to the terminals and the ports, just making sure that uh, we're getting all the inf information in. Just like any large organization, we were digesting it and coming up with uh, plans with our partner carriers. So um, it didn't cause any disruptions, but we we knew that if the strike did occur, that we would have to act fast. Um, a lot of people would look to transload or get those boxes off the coast and um, over the road, um, um, get them into the inland market. So it wasn't so much a disruption as we were trying to use the best practices that we were able to develop during COVID and institute it here where we're prepared and that our customers would have, um, they really want to see any issues on the supply side. So um, disruptive a little bit, but it just was a little bit more hours that we were putting into work every day. Yeah, because I think when we talk about rail, we often think, okay, it's, it's, it's chemicals, it's fertilizers, it's agricultural, but I, I think it's about 30% of rail volume is actually intermodal. So just the day-to-day -day consumer goods that um, we all consume. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's... I. I love intermodal. It's great for the environment. Um, it's a lower cost um, for what we do. As long as we're planning quarterly, we're working with our suppliers, understanding customer demand. We're able to um, utilize a uh, less expensive uh, transportation mode along with uh, the um, just the benefits of the environment. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's I don't think people understand how many goods are moved on the rails uh, domestically in North America. So let's zoom in a little bit. You've talked that the fluidity is not quite what it was perhaps pre-COVID on the port side. Can you give it like an example of where we're seeing still some some supply chain, um, you know, chaos or disruption or uh, basically issues or entanglements? Yeah, no, I mean, I think what you're seeing right now, um, 
you're seeing a lot of suppliers maybe struggling still with inventory levels. Um, they were out of season, so they did try to bring them in early. They kind of get them um, over the summer per se, and they have to wait for that inventory cycle to continue. So that's where you're seeing some suppliers where maybe we are able to get the containers out of the terminals. Chassis are more um, within the network. They're available, so to speak. Um, but once they get to certain suppliers, depending on what they're selling, you're still seeing that box sitting there um, passing three days of per diem. You're tying up equipment that people need to create revenue. Um, so that's kind of where we're still seeing some issues. It's um, hit and miss. Has it gotten better? 100%. Um, we've seen our warehouses um, be able to do the throughput um, much better. So, you know, wafers doing better, but you are seeing it in the market um, pretty prevalently. So it's a lot of, let's say, containers stuck at rail yards, things just kind of stuck and not quite being able to move through the system normally. Is it? Yeah, the rail is probably where we're seeing a lot of the issues, just more in land. So, but yeah, it's um, it's getting it out. The day of notification plus one is very difficult, especially when you're tying up equipment. So the costs continue to rise and people are coming up with solutions. But if you don't have that equipment and the box continues to uh, sit at the terminal, you're just going to accrue costs and it's going to be difficult to um, come up with a solution. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, we hear... We hear kind of, uh, you know, maybe on CNBC or other big uh, business outlets saying, okay, we've seen spot rates decline. We see ocean rates decline. Now, you know, maybe we'll see these deflationary pressures. But I feel like one side of things they're not really discussing is, well, A, a lot of those goods were moved over really high spot during really high uh, periods of elevated spot rates. The other thing is just what you mentioned now with the idea that you might have inventory sitting there in warehouses or in rail yards waiting to get moved, accruing more costs. This sort of deflationary pressure, at least in my perspective, hasn't quite come down yet. No, I think that's right. Um, you People just see kind of what's going on in the spot market. And I, I believe it did drop faster than anyone would have expected. So we're very fortunate that we put in a lot of effort and time with partnerships with the steamship. So we're trying to work through it, understand where the bottom of the market's going to be. Um, we do feel that we may not know where the bottom of the market is until after Chinese New Year. Um, I think also fourth quarter is going to be um, very interesting for a lot of retailers on what's going on with the consumer demand. So um, as you stated, though, a lot of people were moving these goods prior to the spot market dropping so significantly. So you, people are still a little bit um, in shock when they are seeing the cost of what the steamship was. I mean, to merge per diem, kind of when there was no fluidity you're still feeling the effects on the um, on your bottom line as invoices are coming in. Um, so Chinese New Year, I think that's when we really expect us, you know, the market, I should say, not us. Um, we should expect to understand kind of, did we hit rock bottom on the ocean rates and kind of what the 2023 year uh, will look like? So a lot of shippers and carriers are really pointing to Chinese New Year as, you know, that the period after Chinese New Year as when we'll know where consumer demand is headed. Why is that such a crucial time period to look at for people in the broader economy who are maybe casually following the, the freight market? Yeah, no, um, I think a lot of people are going to understand their inventory levels. Um, you're going to have the numbers come back from Q4 by then. Um, some people do have low inventory levels or expecting the demand to increase in bringing product from a uh, Anywhere they're um, importing from uh, Asia, Malaysia, Vietnam, you're seeing a lot of uh, goods coming from there. So I think um, Chinese New Year is going to be a, um, a good time to reflect on what occurred in Q4, look at your inventory levels, understand where consumer demand is. 
um, understand what the Fed's going to do. Um, the interest rates, I think, are playing a big role. Um, and just, you know, I think as a whole, people will feel a lot better on where 2023 is going to end up. So I think it's going to be a little looking in the past, understanding where we are and what we expect for the future. And can you describe the the kind of two, there seems to be at least two different sides to this. Some people think that 2023 will be a recessionary time, that consumer demand will fall. Others think that we will see uh, actually demand pick back up again and retailers who maybe have really high inventory can clear some of that out. Can you describe the two different camps, I guess, in, in this way of thinking? Yeah, no, I, I think it's coming down to what is your product and how did you handle COVID? Um, a lot of people had issues bringing inventory in when COVID initially started. Um, people were starting to um, pull goods forward to make sure that it was getting in before peak season. So I think you're, um, the two different camps are, it's coming down to how did you, what was your experience with COVID on your supply chain? What did you do to mitigate any issues? And we're able to sell out of the inventory. So, I mean, we, we have been fortunate that we're seeing a lot more fluidity through our warehouses. Uh, you know, I think we're going to have a very strong Q4, um, in my opinion right now. Um, so no, overall, I think we're in a camp that we were able to adapt fast. We're able to put in a lot of, um, new initiatives on how to handle, um, the unknown, so to speak, and working, you know, a lot, we didn't really, the magic sauce was just really working with our suppliers and working with our vendors to service our suppliers. So, but, um, you know, some people obviously don't have those relationships. They didn't really find a lot of value in it. So I think they are struggling. So I think based on how you handled it, how mature your organization is, that's kind of how the cookie is going to crumble on what camp you're going to fall in. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and kind of going back to the uh, idea of the summit around the domestic supply chain, uh, when we've talked in the past, you've mentioned how you and Wayfair really focus more on those East Coast ports. I guess, how does the shift from West to East Coast ports, as we've seen um, kind of throughout this year and throughout the past few years, what does that mean for domestic trucking markets? It's very interesting. Um, a lot of the population concentration is obviously driven by the East Coast. So that's why our fulfillment centers are where they are. So we could target our um, customer and be able to get the product to them as fast as possible. So I, I think the the unknown, it seems like every few years, there's always a potential strike. Um, a lot of people are not having the tolerance to deal with it every four years. So they're trying to diversify their supply chain. So you saw the four corner approach, but I think people are starting to get a little bit fed up with it. And they are diverting some of the volume, maybe predominantly to the East Coast rather than the West Coast, where the the less headaches they're experiencing, it's worth maybe a longer transit time and their supply chain and forecasting is becoming more mature. Um, I also think um, it's, I, I believe it's something Freight Waves talks about is just what's going on with the uh, trucking market in California, um, the EV, the emissions. So it's becoming very difficult to do work sometimes on the West Coast. Now that Southern California and the West Coast is ever going away, the transit time is, you know, very attractive, but it's becoming a little bit more difficult to do business out there. So we're not very surprised by it, um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with the legislation and uh, that dynamic, along with um, just kind of how the unions um, are going to deal with the um, suppliers, maybe or uh, freight forwarders, just not having the tolerance anymore of having to deal with this every few years. Is there any difference in the inland uh, 
infrastructure if you import a container, say, to LA versus to Savannah? I'm wondering, what does the process look like to get that container out of LA versus out of a port like Savannah, if there is any kind of key difference between those two different ports? Yeah, um, I think it, a lot of it plays into an organization. Do uh, Some organizations only use one port of entry, so it may go through all of LA, it may only go through Savannah, where at Wayfair and Cascade Logistics, we have multiple points of entry. So we have, um, if something happens on the West Coast, we can still bring it on the East Coast and vice versa. So we never want to limit ourselves to only one part of entry because that's when, um, in our opinion, obstacles become more of a problem than they need to be. Uh, it, it also, I believe, the if you look at the rail network, it's very concentrated. It's very tightly uh, compact on the East Coast versus the West Coast. Um, they're putting in a lot more. The the dollars are being put into the infrastructure to do double stacks and that to make it a lot easier. So I think once the infrastructure is more developed and they could do the double stack trains and that maybe it's more attractive um, on the East Coast. But that's the biggest difference I see is where are you going? What is your strategy? Um, and do you have a tolerance for risk? Um, if you come into one port, it's, it's probably great. Um, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You can really leverage your complete um, inbound volume, but you do open yourself up to some um, disruptions that could really cause chaos in your supply chain. So, um, but yeah, overall, very strong rail net, um Rail providers on both sides, I think it's just kind of where are you going in your tolerance for uh, risk. Yeah, yeah. It seems like kind of the name of the game going forward is avoiding as much risk as possible because we've seen what happens if you go the opposite way. Exactly. There, there are so many options. And in the end, you, even though we're dealing with the import side, we're always thinking of the customer, the uh Rachel buying hopefully something from Wayfair this week. You know, we, we want to make sure the experience is the best one that you could experience. Um, so, you know, we start from the beginning. We want to mit- mitigate risk. We want to make sure that we're able to get your goods on time in a, um, you know, in a decent, timely manner. And what should, uh, you know, me buying a new nightstand or just people in general kind of look out for in the next year uh, when it comes to Wayfair, just the larger durable goods uh, market? We have such a strong presence and we have such a strong relationship with our suppliers. Um, you know, I think hopefully we're not seeing people shy away from us. So, you know, I think we have a good uh, business proposal. Um, you know, I, you know, once again, I think it's going to be Chinese New Year. Um, it's going to really dictate um, if people have high inventories, we're going to have to see um, a lot more uh, liquidation sales, um, you know, just kind of getting the product out so they could bring in more inventory. So, um you know, I think it's just being cognitive of uh, what's going on in the economy, uh, what's going on with the rate increase, um, the Fed rate increases. Um, you know, I think that's going to play a larger role than people think in the supply chain. So overall, you know, we're still very aggressive on our rates uh, for our cons- customers. So no change there. Okay, Jack, thank you so much for joining us. That's all the time we have for today. But uh, always great to hear from you and hear about what's going on at Wayfair. Great. Thank you, Rachel.